the sun was setting as I patrolled the deep woods near the Grand Canyon. I'm Park Ranger Jane and the silence was broken only by the sounds of rustling leaves, the occasional chirping of a bird. I was well versed in the local wildlife and the legends that surrounded the area. However, nothing could have prepared me for what I was about to encounter. As I walked along the trail, I felt an inexplicable sense of unease. The hairs on the back of my neck stood on end, and a shiver ran down my spine. I had heard stories about the Wendigo, a terrifying creature said to roam these woods, but I had always dismissed them as folklore. Suddenly, I heard a guttural growl from behind me. I whirled around, only to find myself face to face with the Wendigo itself. Its gaunt figure towered above me, antlers protruding from its skull-like head. Its eyes were dark and filled with an insatiable hunger. I was frozen with terror, unable to move or even scream. In the blink of an eye, the Wendigo lunged at me, tackling me to the ground. The force of the impact knocked the wind out of me, and I struggled to catch my breath. I could feel its rancid breath on my face as it leaned in closer, ready to claim its next victim. But just as quickly as it had appeared, the Wendigo vanished. It seemed to dissolve into the shadows, leaving me alone and terrified on the forest floor. I scrambled to my feet, my heart pounding in my chest, and grabbed my radio. I desperately called in my colleagues, my voice shaky as I recounted the attack. They rushed to my aid, but when they arrived, there was no sign of the Wendigo. I could see the skepticism in their eyes as they listened to my story. Despite the very real terror I had experienced, they dismissed it as nothing more than an overactive imagination. Determined to prove the existence of the Wendigo, I led my colleagues deeper into the woods, hoping to find some evidence of the creature. We searched for hours, but found nothing, no tracks, no broken branches, no signs of a struggle. As night fell, we reluctantly returned to the ranger station, my colleagues still unconvinced. I knew what I had seen, and I knew that the Wendigo was still out there, lurking in the shadows. I vowed to continue my search, to prove the existence of the creature and ensure the safety of the people who ventured into the deep woods near the Grand Canyon. But as the days turned into weeks and the weeks into months, my resolve wavered. The Wendigo remained elusive, its presence haunting my every waking moment. I could not forget the chilling encounter, and I could not escape the nagging feeling that the Wendigo was still watching me, waiting for the perfect moment to strike again. In these hills and hollows I am not surprised often. You fall into a rhythm here, the longer you spend, the less things you see or hear around truly surprises you. One animal that always surprises me is a cat. I was nine when I realized that my mom's barn cat always ate the heads first on mice. I was eleven when I realized all cats do that, big and small. I was walking up the headwaters of a tributary of Elk River. Elk River is a wild stream. It boils, rolls, and digs deep the holes that incur the full wrath of that river. The streams that feed the elk are steep, fast and cold most of the year, but in August, everything heats up. Big trout escape the warming water by sneaking up any small streams not dried up, and eat any fish or creature they can fit in their gullet. 
Seriously, I caught a brown just over 20 yard half a mile up a gully, in a stream you could stand on both sides. But I digress, me and a friend used to catch a ride with his older brother, a log truck driver. He would drop us off at one of those tributaries in the morning, and pick us back up on his last trip of the evening. Only thing he would tell us, watch out for rattlers, and have you ass beside the road at five, or you walk in toss lady. So with a sack lunch, and fishing poles, we would take off into the shadowy hollers. Me and Nub was leapfrogging up this long, rocky creek, catching brookies in every hole, fishing towards lunchtime at the head of the stream. I got a little away from Nub in a long steep stretch of unfishable white water leading up to a set of falls. As I finally found a piece of land flat enough to rest above the falls, I looked around and I see something off about this laurel thicket, limbs bent the wrong way, leaves turned up like it was broken, I walked closer and it looked like something grayish white hanging way up in the tree. Nub finally caught up to me, bragging over the roar of the water how he, he's caught, and released, over 47, on this stream, and how there ain't no trout above those falls, and why do I always climb up and fish past them on dead water, and he seen me standing there, surprised. Nub stopped, caught his breath, and asked me why the hell I was staring at the sun. I said shut up and look at that tree, what is hanging from it? We walked closer, and it looked oddly familiar, that's when I realized it was deer hair, Hell that's a deer carcass hanging up in that tree, an old one, but a carcass just the same. We couldn't figure out how it got way up there. It was close to noon, and we was a long way from the hall road, let's eat lunch, and start making our way down. I popped a can of beanie weenies, and dug out a bologna sandwich, and Nub pulled out two cans of pop, and handed me one. We sat 30 yards away from our conversation piece and ate lunch. After we satisfied our growling bellies, we sat and rested for a few minutes. Nub stood up to go wander of and take a piss. How you reckon that deer got up there? He said. Hell, I don't know Nub, maybe it climbed up there and died, or something dragged. It. Up there. I stood straight up. Nub, you ever knew a bear to drag anything up a tree? Why would it? Nothing is running a bear off a whole deer on the ground, not coyotes, not hounds, not another bear. When he turned around I could see the fear all over him. We silently packed up lunch, broke down our poles, and commenced to get out of there as quickly and quietly as we could. We made it back to the hall road an hour before his brother was coming out, and left an arrow pointing out made of sticks, so he knew we started walking out and to catch us on the way, and then it started to rain. We were halfway back to the old mill, when I heard that old triaxle rumbling up the hall road. We took shelter under a overgrown iron tree beside the road, not like it mattered, and waited for him to catch up. We climbed up in the truck, stashed our gear, and told him what we saw, as he drove us out. We stopped at the mill to unload, and Nub's brother told us to come on we have to talk to someone. We told our story to an older gentleman who worked at the mill, and he drove us back down the hall road and marked that hollow with a pink ribbon. Years later I found out that old man was a farmer, and he had been losing sheep for years, and finding them hanging in the treetops, young calves too. 
we had stumbled into the hollow that cat called home. What he did to that cat, I know not, I don't want to know, but we never fished anything that ran into the elk until I got old enough to handle myself, never unarmed, and never alone. That was my first experience with big cats. Alright, I have no idea how to format or write this considering it is my first time ever seeing something paranormal, but yesterday I spent the night at a friend's house. I will call them Sam and Bob for privacy reasons, everyone else's name will also be changed. It was Sam, Bob, Jeff, and I, Sam and Bob are brothers. Anyways, Jeff and I had came over and brought our dirt bikes. So naturally we spent the day riding. We had also ran to a store and picked up some fireworks to let off that night. We had quit riding at around 7. Keep in mind this is eastern Kentucky, in the middle of the woods and farmland, because Sam and Bob's family are loaded with money. Since we had finished riding, and it was getting pretty dark, we decided to light some fireworks. We had been lighting some smaller firecrackers and fountains and whatnot. But, Jeff had the idea to have a Roman candle war. In the middle of the war, when we were grabbing new candles, we heard a whoosh, which ended up being a used Roman candle firing a shot in the grass, but we didn't know that immediately, and Sam made the comment that it was probably a Wendigo. Unto which Bob and Sam get in a huge argument about if Wendigos live in Kentucky or not. This blew up and ended with resolving it with a pillow fight on a trampoline. After we were all gassed out, I decided we should spend all night on the trampoline. At around 9 or 10-ish, Jeff and I spotted some coyotes at a tree lean across the road from us. We all went inside because I freaked out because I'm from a city and don't like wild animals. Also it stunk really bad. It smelled like dead rabbit or deer, probably the coyotes got something, so we all go inside but leave the pillows and blankets on the trampoline. After about an hour inside Sam tells us we forgot the bedding on the trampoline, and he wanted me and Jeff to go get it. I being terrified of the dark, beg Jeff to come with me. He agrees and we throw our socks and shoes on, and head out the back door onto the patio or porch. We go down the stairs and towards the trampoline. I am behind Jeff grabbing the back of his shirt and he has a flashlight pointing straight. I'm looking to the right towards past the road looking for the coyotes. But I hear a thud sound to our left. I look over there and there's a line of four trees parallel with us. They are shaped in a V starting at the base. I don't see anything but I tell Jeff to point the flashlight over there and we don't see anything. So he swings it straight and keeps walking. I hear the thud this time but this time Jeff also hears it. It is much 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 louder, it's still to our left. Jeff swings the flashlight in between the second and third tree in the row and it's walking straight with us, not at us, but towards the same direction we were going. As soon as the flashlight lands on it, it's behind the third tree now and it stands up in the middle of the V of the tree, it stood about four or five heads taller than me and am five feet nine. It was incredibly skinny as and I could see its ribs through its skin which was a bright white, like not fluorescent white, but when the flashlight hit it, it definitely had a glow. 
Its eyes were the scariest part two big reflective orbs that were dark gray or blackish, but hey raced the catch, they were reflective in a sense, like the eyes illuminated the flashlight back at us. Also his hands were gigantic its fingers wrapped around the tree trucks and they were super long. Jeff looks over and I scream and he just stands still I turn around and he is still standing but he dropped the flashlight. I still have his shirt in my hand and I yank him hard and he just takes off in front of me. I sprint past him and up the back porch stairs. He falls on the stairs and I run to the door and open it and wait for him as soon as he runs through I slam it shut and lock the deadbolt and shut the curtains and jumped back onto their couch. Sam and Bob were putting their socks and shoes on when we ran inside because they had heard me scream my lungs out. Jeff is standing on the couch and he starts babbling and tell them what he saw and I started hyperventilating. I have anxiety and asthma and had an asthma attack. I haven't had one in years and I stopped carrying my emergency inhaler a long time ago. Sam is bewildered and I started crying while I was having my fit. I cried for almost an hour and didn't fall asleep until almost 3 AM. I woke up and packed and my parents came and scooped me up so I am now writing this from my house. If you have any questions or answers please tell. God bless y'all. My husband came home with this story and he does not believe in Bigfoot. Him and a friend went up to Dead Horse Lake to go fishing for an overnight fishing trip. He said it was around 10 p.m. and they were standing by the fire talking when they heard a very loud scream. He said about 30 seconds after the first scream stopped they heard another one that was quieter and shorter. They both looked at each other and said what in the hell was that? They did not hear it again. Whatever it was scared the hell out of them and they went and got into the pickup and locked the doors. He did say that he has never ever hear a sound like that before. My husband and his friend are big time hunters. A few years back, after a divorce I ended up homeless and living in an RV, caravan, for about a year. I was offered a job 3,000 miles away from my ex, and it seemed like a good idea at the time, so my two small dogs and I started driving west. In western New Mexico, outside Albuquerque, we stopped at a native casino and RV park for the night. It was a very nice park, the bathhouse was huge and meticulously clean, the sort of place where tourists weren't allowed to feel uncomfortable while camping next to miles of wilderness desert in the middle of the reservation. I was just glad they didn't turn us out for being in a 40-year-old small RV other parks had. Turns out RV living is only okay if it's obviously a choice instead of a need. The next morning, I checked outside my door before letting my two small dogs out. There are a lot of things that would be happy to snack on a toy poodle. Sure enough, a coyote was exploring the area. I'm used to East Coast coyotes that will take off as soon as they see you're a full-sized human. So I hopped out, left my pups locked up, and made sure I didn't make eye contact as I went towards the bathhouse. I nodded and greeted him politely as I went by. He was still there when I came out. I told him it would be appreciated if he gave us some space so my kids could come out for their bathroom breaks before we got back on the road. He huffed at me and started walking down the dirt road out into the bush. 
After a few steps he turned and looked back at me, so I followed behind him by about 30 feet or so. Just for the record, following a coyote into the desert at dawn probably wasn't the wisest decision to make. I was very careful not to leave the dirt road. There was a natural clump of three boulders about 10 to 12 feet tall within easy eyeshot of the casino. The coyote calmly walked around the rocks. And then from the other side, moving at the same casual pace, came an older native gentleman. His hair was in braids to his waist, he was wearing old jeans, blue gingham shirt and a woven hat. He tipped his hat at me and kept walking east out into the bush. That was when a raven I hadn't seen started laughing at me from the top of the tallest boulder. The bird took off, flying east, and in the light of sunrise seemed to shift from black to white to orangey-red in color. I wished them both a kind day, hoofed it back to the park, and broke camp in record time. Ravens and crows followed me for the entire time I lived on the west coast. Even when I would walk to work, there were three that paced me every day. Now that I'm back on the East Coast, I kind of miss them. I was walking along the stream looking at the rocks in it when I saw this unusual bright red rock. I bent down to pick it up, but before I touched it I realized it was bright red because it was covered in fresh blood. I looked around and discovered there was more blood all over the place, so I followed its trail and investigated. Long story short, there was a stick on the ground that was completely covered in blood on only one side. I imagine someone had used it to twist a makeshift tourniquet on their arm, but the stick fell off and they started bleeding profusely. As they walked, a large amount of blood was dripping right next to their tracks, presumably from an arm injury that was bleeding and dripping off their hand. Eventually they left a huge glob of blood on the ground near this mask and surgical glove, both of which were completely covered. My guess is someone had been shot in the arm and was trying to stop themselves from bleeding to death. I notified the police, and two eventually came out to meet me and see. I showed them where it was, and the one officer pretty much immediately told me he'd be taping off the area and collecting evidence, and then he called someone to check with local hospitals to see if someone had come in with a bleed injury. I've also come across random clothing in the woods, like a single perfectly good shoe or a ripped belt or shirts. The only reason I can think of someone randomly just leaving a single shoe is if they were being dragged or carried into the woods, or running from someone. Just last weekend my mom and her husband went hiking at a dispersed camping site near Mount Evans and came across a guy with a shovel who claimed to be doing fire mitigation. Except he was wearing a nice button-up shirt and nice jeans and white shoes. He kept telling them to go check out a trail that wasn't there and he had a gun in the back of his waistband. Even weirder he claimed to live at a cabin my mom had walked past at the site and his silver truck was there but when he said he was going to go home he walked past the cabin and truck down this road while my mom and her husband took off. I personally think they walked up on someone either hiding a body or hiding some evidence. He had a southern accent. I went hiking with my grandfather in the mountains of Colorado a few years ago. 
I saw what looked like garbage of the path down a slope. I said, hey, I am a pick it up BRB. I climbed down some rocks and there I found a small shrine to a dead girl. There were pictures of her with her friends and painted rocks all over. I couldn't figure out who it was but she looked to be in her early 20s in the pictures. And from what I could tell, still in college. My grandfather managed to climb down and said that she probably fell or something. That's common in Colorado where rock climbing is popular. Sometimes I think back and wish I never found that spot. It felt so depressing. Me and a bunch of friends went camping back in June of 2000. Up past Fall Creek, Oregon. It was dusk when I saw it and what happened was, I was standing there it's been so long I really don't remember what I was doing at the time but I do know for sure I felt like someone was staring at me and I also got this weird burning feeling of like adrenaline in my mind. Even though my tent was like 4 or 5 feet from the camp I looked out toward the campfire I could see everybody we were camping with right there. But I looked to the direction of where I got that feeling. I don't know how I just knew to look that way, but I did and I seen it standing about 8 or 9 feet away. I felt this petrified feeling and in the 3 seconds which seemed so long I thought run, but at the same time I thought keep looking to make sure what you're looking at is real. Oh it was real I swear by it. I just went into the tent and I didn't say anything to anybody we were camping with. I felt the crowd of about 11 people might have made fun of me or something. But later on that night when my boyfriend CW came to bed I told him and of course he didn't believe me. My best friend was going out with CW brother and at about 4 o'clock in the morning when everybody was just starting to go to bed my best friend and my boyfriend's brother got in a fight that woke almost everybody up. Tabby my BF went running away from the camp and I got up and so did my boyfriend to talk to his brother. I went to find Tabby in about 5 minutes or so we all heard the loudest scream. Of course it was my friend that screamed but as everybody went toward the area where we all heard the scream she was running toward us with the most petrified look saying oh my god. We were like what? She said when she was down by the creek after her and SW were arguing she felt weird and she wanted to come back so as she was climbing up the embankment. By the river. It was right there at the top just hunched over looking at her. After she told that to everybody I knew I believed her cause of what I saw everybody else well a couple people didn't believe her but I know for a fact what I saw and I didn't even tell her until after it happened and she came up and said what she seen. In case anyone is wondering what it is. It is Sasquatch I never ever thought I would be saying that I guess I had to see it for myself. But the Sasquatch I seen wasn't like Harry and the Hendersons it had hair like an orangutan. But a little bit thicker and wasn't as big it seemed like it was about 6 feet. I get a feeling it was a female for some reason. I could be wrong. All I know what I seen was real. Its eyes from what I could tell looked dark. I never had a feeling that it was going to hurt me. I think I was just scared because I never seen anything like it. A while after that my friend Tabby told her dad and he was like, Oh yeah, that's the wild man of Windberry Creek. He said it like it was nothing. I know Tab this mom used to bartend at Fall Creek Taven and they were around a lot of things said. Loggers would come in and her friends and talk about things. And apparently we weren't the first ones to have seen it in that area.
Her mom bartended there about 25 years ago, and it was being seen then too. Except we know it's not a wild man, it's a Sasquatch, that's just what they called it back then. So yeah, it's been being seen in that area from different people for 25 years. The first odd occurrence in this area was in the 90s. I had killed a nice 5x5 five five archery bull elk and had gone back up to retrieve a tree stand the next day with my sister. As we got near the remains, hide, gut pile and mostly intact skeleton, hip bones, spine ribs, neck bones, the tree limbs just beyond the remains swayed like something big had just gone through them. Didn't notice any sounds of animals. The next day I returned to look around that same area for bear sign on the remains. All the remains were gone. No sign of any drag marks like a bear or cougar had taken them. Why would a person or persons take a rotting hide, gut pile and skeleton with no salvageable meat? A couple years later my friend and I were hiking down after archery hunting that same spot I got that 5x5 five five earlier. It was just a few minutes before we had to use our flashlights to see. Off to our west we heard something coming towards us in the trees. Heavy steps, limbs popping and tree branches moving. We both stopped and readied our bows. When the thing came within about 15 feet of the creek we were walking and it stopped. The trees were very thick in this area and it was getting dark fast. My friend and I looked at each other kinda with a spooked feeling passing between us and then the thing turned around and left the way it came. No sound at all other than steps and the tree limb sounds. We agreed the thing that was making the limbs move had to be 7 to 8 foot tall to move the limbs like it did. In August of 2000 I was archery hunting on a windy, cold day. I heard something approaching up the ridge. It sounded like a person walking very heavily. It was not an elk or deer. A few minutes later there was a very loud roaring sound from roughly 200 yards away. I thought it was someone mad that I was hunting there but the volume was just too loud for a human. About two minutes later there was a second roar and it had moved about twice the distance away from me. That roar was followed by an elk bugling 100 yards away. I didn't look for any sign as the roars actually spooked me some and I didn't want to find anything that could produce that kind of a sound with that volume. In early 2001 I had hiked up the southeast side of the mountain, following a small creek up, exploring a side of the mountain I had never been on. I got up to the upper levels of the tree line and started around to the east side to hike the big ridge running off the east side of the mountain. There was still some snow around the clearings and in the trees. In one of the clearings I noticed a strange, large impression near the middle. This clearing was maybe 80 feet across with bare dirt except for snow around all the edges under the trees. Steep sloping ground. I stood beside the impression and just stared at it. The print was going in the same direction as I was. The uphill side was very visible and the downhill side was gone. It was very easy to distinguish the toes and the heel and the outline of the print on the uphill side. It was a right foot print and the bigger toe and the four smaller toes were there. Smallest toe was barely seen as downhill side left no impression of outside a foot. You could see the curve around the heel but not quit all of the curve. 
Step on a steep slope sometime and see how much of your print is visible while keeping the bottom of your foot flat as if walking on level ground. The track was 16 to 18 inches long and about 7 to 8 inches wide. I dismissed it as a freak natural occurrence as there was only the one. When I started off the mountain late in the day I realized that the weathering the track had shown plus with the warmer weather and the snow melt it might have been possible for the snow to have been gone in the middle of the clearing and for the snow to melt faster outwards from the clearing as it would get more sunlight than the edges. I had looked around for signs of other people having gone up there before me but saw none. Not even on the trails at the base of the mountain did I see any sign other than my own. In June or July of 2001 my ex-wife and I were setting up our camp for the evening. It was dark as we had got a late start after work. We were putting up our tent with only one lantern burning when we both at the exact same time looked up at each other and asked if the other had farted. We both had smelled a really strong odor. Made me think of a bear scent but it had an odd sweaty smell. Never had smelled a bear with that type of odor. I grabbed my flashlight, which I discovered had a nearly dead battery, and walked into the direction of the wind. I could still smell the strong odor so about 30 yards from my truck I started looking as best as I could for any eye shine. I swung the flashlight beam aiming it more towards the ground level expecting to see some eyes at a lower than hip level. I instead saw a pair of yellowish eyes higher up than expected. I raised the flashlight and I saw a dark form like a shadow standing there 30-40 feet away. The ground in that direction starts to slope down to a dry creek bed. I am 6 feet 4 and with the slight slope the shadow was taller than me. When the light hit the shadow I saw the eyes either squint or in some way react to the light being shined directly on it. After 4-5 to five seconds it turned and disappeared. I could see an outline, like a shadow of very wide shoulders and arms that hung down like a person's. If this had been a person the eyes would not have glowed in a yellowish color nor would they have reacted to the light. This shadow as it turned was perfectly silent and just disappeared into the woods. The shadow appeared to be 7 to 8 feet tall considering the slight downhill flow of the terrain and that I had to look up slightly at the eyes. I listened for a few hours that night after going to bed and heard nothing odd. This happened to my brother and I during August of 2018, and I've been trying to find the right place to share it because it's the only unexplained experience I've really had and I wanted to share. I was moving across the country from the east coast to the west coast, and decided to bring my brother with me for the journey so I wouldn't be alone. He was pretty excited, and for one of our stops we planned on staying near Phoenix since he had lived there previously and wanted to see old friends. We had a late start on the day we were supposed to arrive in Arizona due to some unexpected bad weather in Oklahoma, and we didn't cross the border between Arizona and New Mexico until around 10 p.m. The majority of the day's drive had been uneventful, but when we crossed into Arizona we began seeing road signs about an escaped convict. We laughed and joked about it, and we got to talking about how kind of eerie Arizona is. I made a comment about how I could see how someone might think they could see something crazy out in the middle of nowhere, and then my brother jokingly said as long as we don't mention skinwalkers, we'll be fine. When I asked what he meant by that, 
my brother proceeded to tell me about how a friend of his he'd met in Phoenix was very superstitious and told he and his other friends not to even mention skinwalkers when someone had brought them up in conversation with them once. I don't think we said much more on the topic after that and switched to talking about less spooky topics. We were somewhere on Interstate 40 and seeing signs for Petrified Forest National Park and our phone signal was getting patchy because we were out in the middle of nowhere. Navigation wasn't working great due to the poor signal and Spotify was getting choppy enough we had to just turn it off. I think I may have spotted it first. Something ran over the guardrail in front of us and I had to hit the brakes. At first glance I thought it was a deer because it had a long neck and thin legs. But its body was also long and cat-like, it had what looked like a cougar tail, and it had an almost wolfish head with short ears. Its limbs were pretty long, and the way it moved was really unnatural. We screamed as it slowed down enough to give us a look and then it disappeared over the guardrail on the opposite side of the road and disappeared into the desert. We screamed and then started laughing hysterically as we tried to piece together what we'd just seen. We stammered for a few minutes trying to figure out if it was in Spotify suddenly kicked back on. To this day, I can't explain what we saw. Deformed cougar with mange is the best way I can describe it. But the experience was incredibly surreal and still gives me chills. I saw the hat man twice in one week when being depressed and very anxious. I did a lot of research and there happened to be many types of shadow people, including the hat man. The first time I saw him, I was paralyzed, sleep paralysis, and was deeply frightened. Firstly, he was walking in the hallway and before I knew it, he was standing in front of me. Although he didn't have any facial features, no eyes, I could still feel him staring at me. He did have this type of hat and was about six feet tall, pitch black. When I woke up in the morning, I kind of felt a sense of relief and my anxiety was gone. The second time I wasn't paralyzed and just felt neutral, I wasn't scared at all but I wasn't happy to see him either. Both times he was watching me from the end of my bed. Never saw him since, I was 16 at the time, now I'm 22. I don't think the hat man is a dangerous type of shadow person, he's mostly satisfied by just observing which can still be scary though. boyfriend at the time and I moved into a farmhouse. Soybeans in the field in front, corn surrounding the house. The nearest neighbor was a few hundred yards away, only one light on the road. The head of our bed was right under a window. We both just returned from a deployment from Afghanistan and I hated how quiet it was out there on the farm. Boyfriend started mumbling something in his sleep and I asked him, huh? What are you saying? He leans up on his arm and peeks out the blinds. They're coming. They're getting closer. What the F? What are you talking about? He goes right to sleep without answering me. I'm laying there all wide-eyed and spooked, but bring myself to look out the window. I see a few sets of eyes looking back at me. My heart sinks to my stomach. Took a while to register that I was looking at coyotes. Sighed with relief, but couldn't fall asleep. That night I learned that my boyfriend was an avid sleep talker. 
we could have full conversations and he couldn't recall anything the next morning. He said he had no clue that there were coyotes out there. I lost a lot of sleep those three years.